0: Okay, welcome back. Thank you for listening. Uh, today, I'm going to read the third um, episode of um, it's going to be a long extended presentation of the life and times of, of Nityananda, Bhagwan Nityananda of Ganesh We just call Nitinanda. Nityananda. Um, in the first episode, I gave an overview uh, of his birth and life and teaching and death and phenomenon of his existence from Cosmic Harmony. Last time, <clears throat> number two, I gave two introductions from the book uh, Nityananda in Divine Presence and the book uh, Sky of the Heart, Jewels of Wisdom from Nityananda, both of which ultimately were our translations into English uh, with commentary by a follower or a, a, a teacher of the uh, of a of a guru named Rudy or Rudrananda, who was a student of Muktananda, who was a student of Nityananda, um, and his name is Swami Chaitanya Nanda. Um, but it really is coming from a devotee in India, uh, an M. U. Hatengi who was a naval secretary, or a captain, or some official person, uh, and had been with Nityananda and with devotees, disciples, people who met him over many years in India, so it seems. And so, what we're going to do, which I think is wonderful, <laughs> I hope you think so too, is to read through the entirety of the book uh, Nityananda in Divine Presence. And again, it's called, it's considered uh, compiled by uh, Captain Hatengi and then uh, bundled and translated and cleaned up and everything by Swami Chaitanya Nanda, contributed by somebody named M on the page of nonduality.com. And last time, the introduction was read. And today, we were going to start basically the first chapter, which is of the early years. which uh, focuses on on his birth, the phenomena of his birth, and um, coming into Incarnation. And again, bear in mind that um, we're looking at somebody here uh, who presumably had finished the work and the path before Incarnation. And even that is quite separate from Gautama, who presumably, apparently, uh, completed the path during the incarnation. And yes, there's huge um, fanciful guru tales um, in Indian literature and culture and religious history, meaning lots and lots of. Hindus over many centuries have um, fantasized, idealized, um, exaggerated the lives and powers and uh, conditions of all sorts of gurus and all sorts of lineages. Uh, but when you have so many accounts of very ordinary folks, um Sharing what they cons- what they consider to be firsthand experiences of miraculous occurrence with Nityananda, um, the sheer weight of those accounts, those anecdotal stories, uh, needs to be considered, and ultimately, you this whole the whole matter of um, spiritual belief um, is not is not fully resolvable by uh, logic and analysis, because um, you can analyze uh, in accord with mm, bias and assumption, um, and try to be free of bias and assumption, but we still have it, Uh, ultimately based on what we think is possible. World view. View of life, view of world. And what is possible <laughs> is is uh, are the laws of physics um inviolable or are they malleable is it possible to have a mind or a being who can tap into um law law energy and you wield energy or do things to modify matter that um go against the so-called laws of physics of course in my view, but everybody's got to figure that out. Some people say that's impossible. How do you know? Do you know all that is possible and impossible? Just because you've never seen it, is it impossible? Just because it goes against the laws of physics, is it impossible? Are the laws of physics the whole of the laws of creation? I don't think so. Some people will say yes. Some people will say it's all psychological. Some people will say it's all uh, brain chemistry. But why do you have this brain with its chemistry? And what is the basis of incarnation? And again, we're coming down to um, what people believe that cannot be proven. Like Ross said, they offer truth without proof. It's unprovable. So you can't prove that Nityananda was what it seems to me and and basically all of those that, that feel reverence and love for him, was he a manifestation of the Logos, or are these all fanciful bullshit stories? Uh, you have to decide for yourself. <clears throat> Is it um, imagination, or do people are people recalling real uh, extra laws of physics manifestations? <clears throat> you have to look to yourself and find out what you really consider is true and possible. So, uh, starting with the early years, 1900-1915, today, as with all the classes, I'll read through as much as I can in an hour, give commentary after the read-through of the chapter, uh, and there's much more that could be said, and um, this will carry us uh, through the next 20 weeks at least Um, and then I may go to the next book and as a matter of curiosity or import of timing meaning now it seems coronavirus situation whatever it is um, is growing and there's a lot of panic and fear and it seems a lot of that panic and fear is reasonable and some of it seems to be not And everybody has their own opinion, and people are very touchy about it. Uh, People who say, this is real, are very aggressive sometimes if you say, no, I don't think so. Uh, And people who say, this is possible, uh, commonly, some further down the line um, harm to society or individual freedom. Some people don't want to say that. Some people will say, you're minimizing. It's much more than that. Human opinion is all off the table. Uh, maybe in the, uh, the this this early phase of the coronavirus situation, whatever it is, uh, is somewhat akin to the beginning of the 19, of the twentieth century, where Nityananda was born in 1896 or around 1900. And so, speaking of his birth at the beginning of the twentieth century. Here now, in the twenty first century at the beginning of what does seem to be a major event for the for humanity and civilization uh based on how they how the leadership plays it and what other factors are in 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 play western leadership but there's not they're not the only ones in play here, and the logos or the confederation to whatever degree they can intervene on our behalf I don't know so Uh, here now in uh, 2020, at the inception of this coronavirus situation, which promises to lead to a whole lot of um, disruption, and um, perhaps chaos and disorder, um, and who knows what. Perhaps that's resonant with or akin to the phenomena, the conditions right at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, um, uh, within which Nityananda took birth. There may be some uh, parallel here. So let me jump in. The early years from Nityananda in Divine Presence, 1900-1915. Nityananda said, it didn't matter how or where his human form came into being, that only idle curiosity prompted such useless inquiries Nevertheless, stories gathered over the years by his devotees present a plausible picture about his birth and boyhood, even though facts often vie for veracity, meaning it's not clear what's true. At the turn of the century, perhaps late November or early December, light from the setting sun slanted through an area of a dense jungle in the south. On a cashew tree, two crows called called loudly to attract an elderly matriarch of the untouchable caste collecting firewood. Curious, she followed the ruckus and under a bush discovered a baby boy with skin the color of ripe wheat carefully wrapped in a white cloth. Now, the old woman already had a large family but remembered that Unia Uniyama's mother, which is uh, someone else's woman that she knew. Umiyama's mother wanted to adopt a child for her barren daughter. So she dutifully picked up the infant and took him home. It was a little bit similar to finding Moses. The following morning, she proceeded straight to the village of Uniyama's mother, who accepted the baby with great joy. To seal the bargain, Uniyama's mother gave the old woman 10 pounds of rice, and then hurried to Pat, Pantalayani, uh, Pant, Pantalayini near Calicut, <clears throat> in an area known as Koilande. There, her daughter worked in the neighboring temples as well as in the household of Ishwar Ayer, a respected lawyer. Uniyama gratefully adopted the baby and named him Ram. So it seems Uniyama is um, unable to have a child her mother is given the child from the untouchable woman who found the baby in the jungle. Uniyama, the daughter, now the adoptee mother, gratefully adopted the baby and named him Ram. At about 18 months of age, Ram developed liver troubles. And even though Mr. Iyer hired him, hired for him the best Ayurvedic practitioner, the baby's condition worsened. He grew thin, and his stomach became distended. Because he often cried through the night, Uniyama's landlord finally demanded that she get rid of him. Too agitated to go to work the next day, she instead took her ailing son out for some fresh air. As she walked, she suddenly saw a tall, dark-skinned stranger carrying a large satchel. The distraught mother, thinking he was a physician, ...approached and begged him to help her child. As if expecting her, he removed a packet from his bag... ...and instructed her to mix its contents with the flesh... ...of a freshly killed crow fried in clarified butter, which is ghee. She should then administer a small dose to Ram each morning before he had eaten. Also, she should rub Ram's skin with the crow's blood at this very moment... A toddy tapper walked by and handed her the crow he carried in his right hand. Astonished, she looked up to thank the two men, but they had vanished. The note is that a toddy tapper uh, is somebody who takes out (coughs) sap from the toddy palm, a certain palm tree, collected by toddy tappers, this is a British term, for making a fermented beverage called arak. There is a rock, you can buy it in bottles It's very strong (laughs) Fermented uh, Sort of palm, sap Fermented alcohol So Somebody handed her The packet of herbs Then somebody else Handed her a crow And uh, she mixed them together Fried it up And fed the baby And also rubbed his skin with the crow's blood Uniyama started the prescribed treatment at once, and the child recovered in a short time. The crow's blood, however, permanently turned his skin a dark blue hue. Years later, when questioned about any aspect of his background, Nityananda often quipped that a crow came and a crow left. He also said that his skin was not black, but blue-black, Krishna-varna. <clears throat> it may be something like Krishna color or Krishna hue. A devout man, Mr. Iyer, worshipped the sun deity Barga, also called Ra, and he loved Ram, for whom Ram, right Ra, Ram and Barga Ra. Uh, for whom he felt a strong mystical attraction. When Uniyama died, the kindly man brought the six-year-old into his household and proceeded to take him everywhere. This included the famous Krishna temple at Guru Vayur, where, alone together, Ram revealed an esoteric understanding that both astounded the older man and satisfied his spiritual hunger. A famous astrologer told him, Mr. Iyer, the child was an incarnate personality, meaning avatar, <clears throat> and that he was blessed to have him as ward and companion. This caused talk among colleagues and friends. were shocked to see the respected brahmin's attachment to the lower caste boy. So he was born uh, of a lower caste or raised as a lower caste boy by an upper caste lawyer. The young Ram was mischievous and loved to pull pranks and his foster father asked friends and servants to keep an eye on him. For instance, he would dive into a neighboring temple's water tank. Oh my god. Uh, just a moment, somebody's coming to my door. Uh, not, not a crow, just a box. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, young Ram, or Nityananda at that time with that name, <clears throat> would dive into a neighboring tank's water tank, stay underwater for a long time, and then run off dripping water everywhere. He would also get up by four in the morning and insist that other household members do likewise, taking their baths and applying sacred ash to their foreheads. He refused to attend school, but agreed to learn subjects like malayalam, English, Sanskrit and arithmetic from Mr. Iyer. One story tells of Ram tricking a local snake charmer who ran a dishonest money-making operation. Under cover of darkness, his cohorts would release several cobras into the compound of a selected household. <clears throat> the snake charmer would then appear the following morning to offer his assistance. Calling the snakes, he would depart with both the reptiles and his fee. <laughs> a trouble, trouble resolver for, for a fee after he made the problem. However, <clears throat> trying the scheme one day on Mr. Eyre, the snakes would not heed their call The baffled snake-charmer soon noticed Ram in the background giggling. He had rendered the trickster's mantra ineffective. The boy then let him collect his snakes with the warning never to bother the Iyer household again. When Ram was around ten years old, Mr. Iyer decided to take him on a pilgrimage to the city of Benares and other holy places. As usual, the two traveled alone together. On this trip, the boy reportedly granted to his companion many divine visions. Along the way, Ram took leave of his tearful foster father, promising to see him again. So the father was very sad, but Ram Nityananda was not. Exactly where the young master went, nobody knows. However, it is thought that he traveled the northern regions, for some sources indicate his renown in the Himalayas as a great kundalini yogi, six years later, Ram returned. Having had the boy in thoughts for days and realizing that he had really come, Mr. Iyer ecstatically repeated Nityananda, Nityananda, eternal bliss. And this, of course, became the master's popular name. The note was that Nityananda was away from Mr. Iyer from the ages of 10 to 16. By the time he returned at 16, he was known in the entire Himalayan region as a Kundalini Mahayogi, meaning Great Yogi. You know, again, uh, I, I will not say, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's all beyond me. All of it could be true. None of it could be true. I don't think that none of it's true. But I personally imagine that some of this <clears throat> is, um, um, devotees um, uh, amplifying rumors or somebody repeating a story that um, was a misunderstanding or was an exaggeration or an amplification um, but it's all feasible as well <laughs> so uh, I don't think people should be that hard on uh, any particular point like he was known throughout the entire Himalayan region as a Kundalini Maha Yoga Yogi maybe, maybe not Um, But he certainly seems to have left at 10, came back at 16, did a lot of travel, did a lot of practice, or did something. Um, And that's the other thing about his life, is um, it's profoundly, although he he really gave himself to those that needed him, in the sense that hundreds passed by him daily at the different ashrams in the south, on the different phases of his life later on, you'll see, Hundreds and hundreds of people keep streaming by. Every single one of them saying give me this, give me that. And that's all he did. And he accumulated nothing. He accumulated nothing at all, other than what was given which was all given back out. So, what personal gain he gets, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me there's any real. But yet there's something intensely private about his life for him. He he didn't explain everything he didn't want to explain everything he didn't feel he needed to he didn't care that others didn't know it wasn't important that no one knew really what was going on <laughs> he did he made explanation and dropped it and he doesn't care about making everybody happy to get their sa- their curiosity satisfied it doesn't matter and so like his view that it didn't matter what happened when he was born it didn't matter how or where his human form came from idle curiosity is shallow and those are useless inquiries it just doesn't matter because it's uh, phenomena uh, of of a time that are uh, emblematic or uh, associated with the significance of his birth and his being and who he was and why he was here for sure but the particulars are not important. But it's also fine that he knows and doesn't explain to the satisfaction of everyone. And so, it's really—I mean, I learned that from politicians who generally don't answer questions but say what they want to say. That, it, it, without being deceptive, I mean, you can do whatever you want. I don't—I prefer not to be deceptive. But, <clears throat> uh, without one can one can say what one wants to say without being deceptive. And one can be okay um, keeping much to yourself. I mean, if you look at your life, much of what, much of the deepest experiences of any person's life, was only for you, for your eyes only, for your heart, mind, eyes, feeling only, and that's okay. And so, there's something uh, sacred about keeping what is precious private. Um if it's private, it can be... If it's precious, um, it it should be protected. Uh, if it's delicate, it should be protected. And some portion of our memory or of our life experience is precious and delicate and should be protected. Which really means, I think, commonly, not told to others. And it's uh, not necessarily a shameful thing, although... You know, there's shameful aspects of personal life that don't need to be told either. Um, Meanwhile, there's something beautiful to share the most precious and delicate with uh, the beloved. But even then, um, and it's up to you, of course, but one should certainly give oneself permission to not share what one doesn't want to share. And there is that which is precious and delicate and um, damaged by the sharing. Actually, cheapened by the sharing, yeah, and um, that's something to consider. Anyway, the conclusion, concluding paragraph here in the first chapter. Shortly thereafter, Mr. Eyre performed his youngest daughter's marriage ceremony at the temple in Guruvayur. There, the entire family felt the deity's presence in Nityananda. The youth then took his foster father. To receive the darshan of Ananteshwar and Lord Krishna in Udipi. Later, Nityananda would indicate to devotees his previous association with the ancient Ananteshwar temple by remarking that he had been present when it was built some 400 years earlier. Mr. Iyer soon fell gravely ill and, resting in Nityananda's lap, asked to see Barga, the divine object of his lifelong worship, meaning the sun deity or the the uh, form of the sun deity or deva itself. Young master or Nityananda granted his wish, and Mr. Iyer died to express his love and gratitude before he died. The man bequeathed some assets to his adopted son. The young Nityananda refused the gift. So ends the chapter entitled The Early Years. <clears throat> and why did he refuse the gift when you could say that if he had received it, he could have done some good by giving it to someone else? Well, <laughs> though that's a nice thing to do, um, that's not necessary to be of service to other. So you're going to see here, or I see here, a lot of cases of what he does and what he doesn't do that uh, would be profitably, (laughs) instructionally, compared to how we normally think we ought to be, or ought not to be, and uh, you see that that really people are um, doing their own thing, um, and in in terms of what they consider right and wrong, and good and bad, and uh, sin and uh, virtue, Uh, you could criticize him for everything. You could criticize him for nothing. You can criticize me, and I could criticize you for everything, or nothing. Um, it's (laughs) It's the spirit behind it that's really important, because there's no proof that he is what we feel he is. There's no proof that he's benevolent, you could say. Somebody can criticize anything, anywhere. Or all sorts of matters can be criticized. Um, And ultimately, in many cases, we don't know why people do what they do. We can know some, but I don't think (laughs) there's a whole lot of what's going on here that we can't know. And yet, to some degree, that's the case always. Meaning, you could easily say, Nityananda was being selfish because he didn't accept the gift because he could have given it to poor people in the street. Well, he had his own reasons for refusing the gift. I don't know them. Um, anybody who's on his side or believes he's an avatar would say that that was part of what was needed for teaching to Mr. Iyer, or that was service to other. It was a selfless act of service not to receive it. Other people can say it was a selfish act of uh, narrow-mindedness, anti-materialism, short-sightedness, not to accept it. Who knows? But one can know. But just because somebody has a strong opinion doesn't mean they know anything. And so just because somebody has a robe doesn't mean they know anything. The Brazil they say just because he's dead doesn't mean he knows anything. Just because he knows something doesn't mean he knows that other thing. Just because I used to be right doesn't mean I am. Just because um, one one can appreciate Godhead doesn't mean that one is without lower triad blockage. Just because one's with lower triad blockage doesn't mean there's no greater development of love wisdom that you may see from that person as well periodically. So, life is subtle. (laughs) Discernment is important. Uh, and the heartwood as we said from yesterday of the kimshila sutta you can say that the heartwood of uh of learning is discernment or of discernment is learning and understanding and the heartwood of understanding is greater release meaning the pith the core the purpose the the fruit so um you'll see a lot here that either that for some people doesn't make sense for some people could be uh, second-guessed. It's okay to second-guess, but understand that we really know very little, and you know very little, and I know very little, and we'll do our best. Um, And the spirit to keep seeking to know is what really counts, and don't get stuck in assumptions. So, on to chapter 2, and this will probably be um, the closing chapter for today was in of his time 1915 to 1936 so again if we consider that he was born 1896 or something like that then we're looking at late teens maybe let's just say 1896 may or may not be true some report has it that uh, that means that we're looking at ages 19 um, to 40 19 to 40 So. Ending the youth and uh, moving through the first Saturn return at around 30, up to 40. So, 19 to 40 is what we're looking at here in South Kanara. Going on, after performing last rites for his foster father, the young Nichinanda took off again, this time to wander South India and beyond. Over the years, devotees heard him mention stowing away on a cargo ship, probably boarding in Madras to work as a stoker boy and sailing to Ceylon, Rangoon, Burma and Singapore. he speak of he spoke of being a laborer on a Burmese rubber plantation and some people think he visited Japan. He once laughingly recounted an incident during the First World War right so this is the time of the First world War when as an army conscript in India, he was declared medically unfit because the doctor could not find his heartbeat or pulse. He is said to have been in Madras when Swami Vivekananda left India in 1896, and again when he died in 1902. In the 1950s, -1950s, mid-1950s, when asked if he would travel abroad like certain other Indian Swamis, he answered, one only has to go if unable to see places or deal with people from here. As I looked at, we talked about that, In a previous, in the first talk, meaning he could do work at a distance by mind as well as um, materializing or uh, manifesting a form in which to interact with people uh, over there. And I don't know. Is the whole thing fantasy here? Or uh, is this for real? Uh, I have my opinion. It's good for people to find their own. The following, going on, the following is one of the few authenticated stories from this time period. The scene is Palani Temple, where Lord Subramanya, Subramanya, or Subramanya, a brother of Lord Ganesh in Hindu mythology, is the presiding deity. So you see there are temples all over India that are dedicated to various deities and... Um, Characters of Hindu mythology and um, literature. So, Palani Temple, um, presiding deity being Lord Subramanya or Subramanya as the presiding deity. We must visualize Nityananda in those days looking like an eccentric wanderer, his wire-thin body healthy and glowing, which there are some pictures of that. Late one morning, He was ascending the last few steps to the shrine when the attendant priest, having just locked the doors after morning worship, was descending. Nityananda asked him to reopen the doors and wave a ritual light and incense, which is called arati, before the deity. Astonished that a vagrant would dare make such a request, the priest curtly told Nityananda that the time for morning worship was over. Nityananda continued on. The priest expecting him to walk around the shrine and worship at the mul- Muslim altar in the back, was not concerned until he heard the temple bells ringing. Turning, he was astonished to see the doors open, Nichinanda sitting in the deity's place and Arati being waved before him by invisible hands. The vision vanished at once and Nichinanda left the shrine to stand on one leg for some time, steadily gazing upward. There's a picture, I believe, of something like that. Coins poured at his feet, offered, some say, by pilgrims, while others say by an unseen source. In any case, he was accorded all honors of a master. When the surrounding pilgrims begged him to stay, he refused and instructed them to use the money to provide a daily meal of rice porridge to visiting renunciates. It was later learned that local sannyasis had been praying for this very thing, so uh, he knew what they needed and uh, made it happen. Leaving the Pantala Pantalayani area, the young master encountered an errant gang of youths in Kananor. Kananor, one of them wrapped a kerosene-soaked rag on the master's left hand and set it ablaze. Nityananda didn't resist physically, but instead transferred the burning sensation to the one who had attacked him. Crying out in pain, the unexpected victim begged for mercy. As Nityananda extinguished the fire on his own hand, the sensation in the others subsided. Years later, he explained to devotees, uh, this is apparently a quote, those with inner vision, or yanis, the Yanni being the one with inner vision, do not go in for miracles. However, this does not mean that a burning rag tied to their hands does not hurt. They suffer like anyone else, but have the capacity to detach their minds completely from the nerve centers. In this way, they might remember the pain only once or twice a day. (laughs) So, mm, certainly yogi, there is yogic ability to turn off pain centers, um, like fakir sleeping on bed of nails. Uh, there's also the ability to, uh, have the skin impermeable to burning or puncture. Um, but he's really saying that, uh, they, he could feel it too, but be detached from it. Um, but obviously it, it wasn't a pain that uh, disturbed the mind um, profoundly as it would for normal folks. Going on, at some point, the young Nityananda began appearing regularly around Mangalore and other parts of South Kannara. Again, extant stories make a clear chronology impossible. Now, approaching his early 20s, so we're talking about um, um, around 1920 and wearing only a loincloth, and often not even that, he lived a life of great simplicity in the region's rocks, caves, and forests. It was a familiar sight to see him standing stiffly in a tree before the local Mahakali temple at Kaup. Kaup. People would gather below his tree, mingling without regard for caste or creed, and the master would shower them with leaves that recipients prized for their healing power, One day, after the crowd dispersed, a blind man stayed behind and begged for help, explaining the burden he was to his family. After a while, saying nothing, Nityananda climbed down and rubbed the man's eyes with leaves from the tree. The man arose next morning to find his sight restored. Another time, in Manjeshwar, there was a man whose mother suffered from a painful lump in her leg. When medicines brought no relief, he went to Nityananda, who was standing as usual in a tree. He said, quote, this one knows and is there. The son, however, did not understand. He went home and returned with his mother in a carriage, but the master had vanished. After searching in vain, they went home to, to find him descending from their attic. He silent, me, silently massaged the astonished woman's leg for several minutes and then departed, the mother recovered completely. <clears throat> you see, many many of these stories uh, were found in the Cosmic Harmony page. So, for some who've listened two weeks ago, uh, this is some review. But, I think that's okay. Just a moment. Going on. Yet another story tells of a widow who brought her six-year-old daughter. Nityananda said... But the child has been blind from birth. Why do you insist I change this? <laughs> meaning he could. Let the child say what she wants. The child then said, I would like to see my mother once. The master said nothing. After a while, he asked them to leave. It was the mother's custom to first bathe the child, put her in a safe spot, and then perform her own ablutions, meaning ritual Mm, purification um, associated with uh, worship um, in Hinduism in certain groups. That day as she returned her daughter jumped up and shouted that she saw her. Their joy lasted only minutes before the blindness returned. It seems Nityananda chose not to interfere with the child's destiny. And so that's a case of um, careful karmic interruption. Uh, maintaining non-infringement on the apparently required uh, life karmic experience of blindness for the girl. And again, (laughs) is that uh, fantasy? I mean, I have my own opinion. Everybody should, if you care, figure it out yourself and find your own. And that doesn't mean we know. It just means we have a current opinion. And you can say he was heartless because he only gave her a moment to see. You can say it's all a big fantasy. You can say that nobody has that power because what? I don't. You don't. You can say that it's all demonic because only Jesus can do miracles. And God said in the Bible only, uh, only, only miracles come from Jesus or Jesus' name and the angels and everything else is demonic causation. I don't know. <laughs> this is the the Tower of Babel planet, and so everybody speaks a different tongue and has a different view and can't seem to agree, which is interesting. And that's associated with the non-repeating of the folks here being unable to get out of third density cycling. But <clears throat> apparently, um, I would say he con- he could see that it was better for her karmically to have a lifetime of blindness as she was born, Um, rather than interrupted for her and her mother's happiness, that there's something that needed to be experienced. She needed the blindness, and that's just the way it goes. Very much the same as the story in 2150, where John goes to a hospital, telepathically communicates with a patient on a bed somewhere, and says, I can heal you, uh, or get you out of your, your pain, so you don't have to lie in pain in the hospital bed here and the man harshly rebuked him telepathically saying don't do that I am here uh, in bed in the pain in the hospital because in several lifetimes there's a likelihood that I'm going to be something like harsh or abusive to a future wife and to eliminate the possibility that I'm like that then I want to be in pain in the bed now Uh, I think that absolutely metaphysically is is feasible, or reasonable. Uh, We can choose to have a certain experience of limitation now, so as to uh, remove (coughs) the uh, current karmic requirement of a future experience um, that may be harmful, or whatever. Uh, Nityananda, in this case, have uh, Presumably, if the story's true, or if you believe it, if it's true. Whether you like it or believe it or not doesn't matter. Ultimately, truth is truth. <clears throat> it's either true or not. <laughs> and who can say? But one can believe, and uh, one can be wrong, and uh, one can be right. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but apparently, in my limited understanding... Uh, Similar to 2150, there's a recognition of the long-term, multi-incarnational, metaphysical value benefit to the person, to this girl, akin to the man in the hospital in 2150, of not interfering with the current painful or limiting condition, so as to fulfill some karmic mm, balancing, rebalancing requirement. <clears throat> um, so as to um, support the person's long-term evolution. I think that is very common, or it happens more than you'd think. Uh, this, this pain <clears throat> um, is uh, a karmic requirement to uh, tomorrow's greater freedom going on. <clears throat> One morning on a busy road near a village that some say was Panambur the master strode along at his usual rapid pace coming upon a pregnant woman he stopped suddenly and squeezed her breasts the woman did not resist but when outraged people began rushing toward him they want to kill him nichinanda continued walking he quickly outdistanced them shouting that this time the woman that this time the child would live the woman hurriedly, hurriedly told onlookers that her three previous children had died after their first breastfeeding. Shortly thereafter, her baby was born and survived. A village delegation was organized to thank him, and the story spread. This time, Nityananda's unconventional behavior became clarified after the fact, but it was not always the case. For example, prior to 1920, so that he's under 20. He was often seen in the early morning hours waiting for a cow to pass. Following it, he would catch the droppings and swallow them before they touched the ground. Another story says, he came to the flooded Pavanje River during the monsoon season. When the boatman refused to ferry him, the master simply walked across. Uh, When, in 1953, or when in 1953, someone asked him to explain the river incident, he said, True, the Pavanje River was in flood when this one walked across, and the boatman would not venture out. But, there was no motive, it was just the mood of the moment. The only meaning was that the boatman was deprived of his half (laughs) anna. Like, this ain't no big deal. Yes, it was in flood. Yes, this one here, or what you call me, walked across while the boatman wouldn't take me. But actually, it was just his feeling to do so. That's it. Not trying to teach anybody anything. Not, doing, not intending anything other than to go across. The only meaning was that the boatman was deprived of his half hour. The only <laughs> important significance, <clears throat> I guess this is sort of a very dry joke here, is that um, the boatman didn't get his money. Uh, Going on, uh, this is a little comment. I guess this may be a second portion of the quote. He wrote, or he spoke, it seems, One must live in the world like common men. Once established in infinite consciousness, one becomes silent, and knowing all, goes about as if knowing nothing. Although he may be doing many things in several places, he outwardly appears as if he is simply a witness of life, like a spectator at the cinema. He is unaffected by events, whether pleasant or unpleasant. The ability to forget everything and remain detached is the highest possible state. And somebody put a quote in here, maybe M. Never forget this second paragraph. It's read here every day, meaning by him. It's not just a statement. It's the way to live life. And um, that's an interesting comment. I think that's actually the compiler of the page of the site, duality.com. One must live in the world like common men. Uh, In some level In some way we are common folk For sure We have body, we have much of the same Mental, emotional, physical processing And needs And limits as everyone else But To the extent that wanderers are really wanderers Or a person really is And or to the extent that someone really has Metaphysical understanding Or power, and or power um, One is no longer common but um, we're seen as common, and that's good. And it's like Matthew 6. We talked about this, I talked about this before. Don't, don't make a big deal out of your piety. <clears throat> don't uh, make a big deal out of yourself. <laughs> don't make a big deal out of yourself. Don't talk about yourself all the time. It's very boring, actually. No great teacher talks about himself all the time. Nobody who has any deep maturity spiritually talks about themselves a lot actually, they talk about ideas or principles, what seems mm, really important for continued learning, growing, helping transformation. Uh, For him, uh, he was indeed, it appears, uh, established in infinite consciousness Satchitananda Mugen Ishi (laughs) Mugen (laughs) Ishi Mugen Ishi is Japanese uh, Buddhist terminology. It means means uh, boundless awareness. Um, once established in that, as he was, it seems, uh, we're not yet, one becomes silent and knowing all, there's omniscience, goes about as if he knows nothing, meaning he's pretty ordinary looking and um, he's not flying through the streets. He could, but he don't. Although he may be doing many things at several places, that's called omnipresence, meaning transmitting consciousness or emanation bodies uh, to different other locations or dimensions. Who knows? Yet, still, outwardly, appears as like a witness, meaning a quiet mind sitting peacefully. Like a spectator at the cinema, um, life is but a dream, watching detached, this is totally cultivated in mindfulness meditation. This kind of mindfulness, attentiveness, calm abiding, samadhi, concentration, one pointedness, at least, but particularly calm abiding as a term for shamatha, samadhi, um, the result, a result of concentration. Um, one can get into a certain state, when people who do meditation know this, where one is just very stably, peacefully sitting, watching, breathing, clear, quiet. It's very comfortable. And, um... uh, Hakuin Zenji talked about that. (coughs) One could stay for hours and hours that way, or at least he could. (laughs) Not I, but he. Uh, Unaffected by events, whether pleasant or unpleasant, it's acknowledged that there is a difference between pleasant and unpleasant. Let's not non-dualize... Out of existence, all relative, exper- relative truth experience. Yeah, there's pleasant and unpleasant. Jackhammer is not Arvo Part. Arvo Part, and so uh, a gentle touch is not a is not a slap. So there is a difference in sensory experience. There are deep parameters to what uh, a being um, experiences, or the vehicle we're using, the body and the mind in third density and uh, in those according to those universals indeed there is that which is um, that which leads to harmony and peace and um, a a kind of expansion and that which is uh, shocking, distressing and contractive but even though knowing that uh, he's saying one may be unaffected meaning Vairagya detachment and then the ability to forget everything and remain detached is the highest state possible Um, he'd know better than me about the highest state but it's not the detachment of a self conscious uh, affirmative uh, awareness that I am now detached no, that's not forgetting everything forgetting everything uh, full forgetting Um, That's what good meditation will lead to, is regularly forgetting um, the mind and the apparently real human experience. To regularly forget um, all that we had considered real and substantial. To be able to regularly forget all that and uh, be detached, but really, it's a little bit psychological, we'll say, uh, depersonalized, or dissociative, or dissociated, it's not crazy. One can snap back and be very present in a moment. Yep. But <clears throat> it, it's a real vairagya. It's a real letting go. Very much akin to Gautama talking of release. It's a uh, uh, awareness that, ha- that, that involves having already, ha- having already released much or released regular the, the reification, <laughs> the, the habit of believing real and substantial all that we're thinking, and <clears throat> he was very much in that, uh, and so his life really was a dream. Uh, yet great work really was done. Finally, last two paragraphs, and then we'll call it a day here. Nityananda was indifferent to social conventions, often going naked in the early days. When some people objected and reported the matter, he was taken before a local magistrate. As always, a crowd followed, (laughs) as common in India. When ordered to wear a loincloth, the master reportedly replied, to cover which with what? Meaning, to cover what thing with what? (laughs) The magistrate then instructed a policeman to tie a loincloth around him, but it wouldn't stay tied meaning they t- tried many times to have it tied, but couldn't, and it kept falling down. Finally, in exasperation, the magistrate offered, ordered a tailor to secure it with needle and thread. The tailor was also a devotee and pleaded with Nichinanda to let it stay in place. He complied, it remained, and thereafter a loincloth was his usual article of clothing. <laughs> So that's very much the way he he is, or was. Um, He probably felt it's simply unnecessary to cover which with what? To cover what? Why? um, Based on the social convention. Um, Yet, and therefore, he basically was kind of showing off that if he didn't want it to stay, it would continue falling forever, and they'd never be able to affix it, no matter what they did it would just keep falling but then in relation to the devotee Taylor who um, honestly, with heartfulness asked Nityananda, please let it stay, Nityananda complied <laughs> and um, let it remain in place and um that, I think, shows you some of uh, his uh, seva. His, uh, if there's one person who really needs something, he'll make it happen. Finally, last paragraph of second chapter. Nityananda passed most of the time around 1915 on the beach at Kangaro, lying on the hot sand and gazing at the sun. A devotee who, as a boy, often accompanied his father to the town, said years later that it was impossible to approach Nichinanda in the afternoons. The intense heat discouraged everybody from walking on the sand. Sometimes he sat from morning until evening on the blazing hot rock where the first temple would be built in 1963. And this was the first temple built in his honor after his Mahasamadhi, which is a um, leaving the body um movement into complete and perfect enlightenment or moksha mukti liberation in 1961. So after his death in 61 this temple was built in 63 and in the 19 teens and 20s um, he would sit um, under the sun. The Indian sun is unbelievably intense pranic and I'm sure it was a hell of a lot more pranically intense a hundred years ago than today, and he sat on that rock from morning to evening sometimes. And so this is also how you see uh, the book compiled, where um, Captain Hatengi talked to a man who, when he was a boy, uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, was with his father there and saw Nityananda then, and reported this, presumably. <clears throat> and that's um, how many of these stories uh, found their way to uh, Captain Hatengi, I believe. People who heard someone else, people who had direct experience, people who hadn't experienced decades before. So uh, so that'll be the two chapters for today. And next week we'll go beyond... Um, to the next chapter which it actually it, it's not fully chronological there'll be a lot of going ahead and coming back uh in that the next chapter is a uh, discovery in Udibi part one 1918 so we're not up in 1936 yet we're in 19 we're still <laughs> in the uh first 20 30 years of the 24 of the 20th century and then beyond that, we'll go to um, Mangalore days of rail travel, which um, <laughs> is familiar to me, and um, <clears throat> continue to make our way up to about 1940. So we're still in the uh, <laughs> World War One time and move into the 20s and the 30s next class or next uh, reading. Uh. And I want to, just before I go, read a quote we read in the CosmicHarmony.com page, uh, which I think uh, has bearing on (coughs) certainly the current time in America and the West, um, but life in general and... um, an understanding of the purpose of experience or catalyst and its usage in accord with the purpose of life, meaning to learn and grow and help to continue self-development, how one way that's useful to look at difficult experience. The quote is, he said, there are various tests to which the devotee is subjected. They could be of the mind or the intellect or of the body and so on. A number of such tests are there. In fact, God is conducting tests all the time. Every occurrence in life is a test. Every thought that crops up in the mind is in itself a test to see what one's reaction will be. Hence, one must be always alert and aloof, conducting oneself with a spirit of detachment Viewing everything as an opportunity afforded to gain experience, to improve oneself, and go on to a higher stage. So higher stage, like higher dimensional life, like higher chakra activations in balance, like (coughs) um, uh, expanded awareness or a greater development of green-blue indigo, love-wisdom, will, or awareness of unity... Or access to the uh, awareness of Atman, Atmanic consciousness uh, and all uh, all of the, the, the ultimately the, uh, the peace of mind that comes from increasing awareness of unity. I mean awareness of unity normally happens in, in, in momentary experiences of joy, uh, unutterable joy commonly, where there's a sense of all is one. Or I am that I am, or I am this one and all is I, all is God. It's not many, it's one field of love, light, joy, divinity, sacred. Uh, But uh, certainly the more one has had those experiences, but the more that one activates six chakra, um, which requires all the previous lower chakras development, Um, the more one has a sense of peace Uh, one will find it tested now is a great testing time for earth humanity it seems certainly for lots of people (coughs) um, in the western countries under quarantine, lockdown with their sick leadership um, it's a real testing a real serious testing or dark night of the soul, Um, getting stuck in panic is uh, problematic, is um, harmful. Getting stuck in anger, getting stuck in hopelessness, uh, getting stuck in any way, in any kind of emotional charge condition is unhelpful, and it's inevitable to feel all of those, but one doesn't have to get stuck um, more than ever before it's a time that's good for self-care and being kind to the people around us and talking deeply and expressing our process with loved ones and friends and family who are receptive if they are <clears throat> helping each other um, and understanding um, you know, this too shall pass all things must pass as George told us um, and yet, um, it is indeed a big testing, a great testing, and uh, we'll do our best. That's all we can do is do our best, and so have faith in yourself, and have faith in in God or in your source, in Source. Um, um, we will pull out of this too, and there is something greater, so like Netanyahu said, Yes, Saturn is there, but God is here too. Um, That's, I think, important to remember. So, I hope this was helpful. Next time, we're going to go to the next chapter, Discovery in Udipi, and um, parts one and two. So, not yet the Mangalore rail travel. So, thank you for being here. Uh, Please take good care of yourselves. Good night, and be well.